Welcome to another episode of Wizards After Dark. After the most exciting win of the year, it's got to be for the Wizards, considering the circumstances, considering the fact that they were down 24 points to the Clippers uh, a day after all of these reports come out about last Thursday's praxis that they had. Uh, and they come back and they win against L.A. in Washington, 125 to 118. John Wall has 30. Poor shooting night, but really helps lead the comeback. Bradley Beal had 27. I thought he was really great tonight, especially in the in the fourth quarter after he ended up getting a nice knock to his eye and left with a they glued up his eye. He got he got a cut in his eye and they glued it up. Sadoransky was awesome off the bench. He had 13 and 7. Jeff Green was they're just getting good Jeff Green every night. 20 points on 8 of 11 shooting. I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for the Athletic and I'm the host of Wizards After Dark and I'm here with now second time guest. You're tying Chase Hughes. For the second most common, for the most common guest on this podcast, Ben Standig from NBC Sports. If that's the the, the distinction, I will be back on tomorrow. <laughs> There's I, not even a game. We're having you back on anyway. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, whatever, whatever number Chase gets to, I'm just gonna have to jump over that. This is a, this is a thing. By the way, we're doing this late enough that after dark, maybe it may be after dark by the time we get done. Yeah, the expression after dark doesn't make sense, like because it's during dark. After dark, when people say after dark, they really mean during dark. They do. After yeah. dark is the daytime. Is up. Yeah, when like the farmers and people like, start doing stuff and I'm yeah. still like eight hours away from waking up. But yeah. It's an oxymoronical expression. That's a fair point. It is. Uh, it, uh, however, to tie it in with the situation, because it is late enough, my brain is not going to be able to have a witty comeback for <laughs> that. Uh, but yes, it is It is a very good, it is a very good uh, point. And, and also to appreciate the... Uh, you have me on, especially because I forced my way onto this because last <laughs> yeah. night, meaning last night, meaning Monday night, um, I, as I said to you before, I'm podcastless right now. So I'm like, I got to, there's too much happening. We need to vent. The wizards are imploding. This is insane. The headlines are, uh, every 10 minutes, it was another tweet about who knows what. And the, they were going to play the hottest team in, I don't know, if the whole NBA or whatever, in the Clippers. And, like, things needed to be said. And I'm like, dude, can I uh, can I come talk? You, you nicely said yes. And then the Wizards won. I don't know if that messes things up for, for this podcast, but it helps them, I guess. Yes, it's good for them. I also don't think it changes anything. So so if you happen to be somebody who listens to a niche Wizards postgame podcast and yet is unaware of anything that's happened in the last 48 hours from when we're recording this. And we're recording this. It's now 1.34 in the morning right now, technically on Wednesday, I guess. The game they played just now was on Tuesday night. Did you not do a podcast after Monday's barrage of no. crazy? No. I'm only, except for one special episode, I've only been doing post-game shows. Got it. Um, I also just didn't have, even if I wanted to do a podcast, I didn't have time. Like, I was... My story from the Monday stuff came out on Tuesday morning. We scheduled it for 6 a.m. But I filed it at like 2 or 3 in the morning. Like I was I was up working on that thing so late. The weird thing about The Athletic is that like when you're at a newspaper, they're telling you like, all right, get it in by 8 o'clock. You get your thing in. That's it. Maybe if some stuff comes out after, maybe you update for the story for online or maybe you're reporting on Twitter. And – the thing that they're saying that with this is like, no, hold on to it. We don't care when it comes out. Like, that's their whole thing. Like, we don't care when it comes out. If it doesn't come out till the next day, that's fine. Just get as much good info as you possibly can, and that's when we're on it. And so, like, because of that, you end up obsessing over, like, 
okay, when do I turn this in? And you end up turning in things at three in the morning when they're going to run at six in the morning and not sleeping. This was this was my life for eight months of the sports capital because essentially we were following right. the same athletic exactly. model. The only difference was that since the, only the three of us were there, there was no other people. That we were essentially editing each other's stuff. So when one of the other, when you sent in your story at two thirty in the morning, everybody else was like, "What are you doing? I got, <laughs> I got to sleep at some point." But yeah, yeah, we all we all do it to each other. So it is what it is. Well, speaking of internal discord, if you mm. are one of those people who <laughs> listens, you're really getting sounds of the arena tonight. Someone, we're doing this in the media room for this the is, first time. Isn't that two for two? You and I did this in Orlando, and while we were in Orlando, a, a pack of, like, eight-year-olds with their parents came walking by. The doors were opening and closed. Chatter was there. And it, it, I, I'm telling you, every time I did one of my other podcasts in this building 75% of the time, no matter what, it's one thirty in the morning and the door just opened. This happens. I don't understand. <laughs> but when you're sitting alone, no one comes in. Anyway, the Wizards had a turbulent, is what I called it in uh, my story from Tuesday morning, a turbulent practice on Thursday in which Bradley Beal and Austin Rivers had an altercation. John Wall and Jeff Green had an altercation, verbal altercation. Scott Brooks came in, went to break that up. This is all according to sources and according to reports and all of that stuff. And we've got all that stuff up on The Athletic. You can read it at The Athletic DC. Scott Brooks came in to break up the Wall Green altercation. Uh, Wall ended up saying, dropping an F-bomb at Scott Brooks. Wall gets fined. Um, I don't believe the fine was massive, by the way. I've heard figure a figure for the fine, what the fine is. Uh, I'm not comfortable enough reporting, actually, what the figure is, but I am comfortable enough saying the fine was not. A, it was a slap on the wrist. It wasn't a, some kind of ginormous. So no Chipotle for John Wall tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. John Wall is going to have to be really frugal. No kava. It's really disappointing for him, I'm sure. He's got to go, like, in and out instead of Shake Shack. By, by the way, is Chipotle and kava even on the menu right now, considering this, what we were talking about, this lettuce uh, recall or something? Oh, yeah. No romaine. No lettuce with it. Yeah, I, at this point, I'll just skip all lettuce until somebody tells me otherwise. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We're six minutes into this podcast. We haven't talked about anything with the Wizards. And yeah. Like the, the one of the craziest stories. I mean, the leading national story in the NBA. Um, this all gets out. It's a big enough deal to where like Scott Brooks talks at Tuesday morning shoot arounds where he doesn't do. He doesn't talk at home shoot arounds. He talks. He gives a three minute opening statement. Wizards company line is basically this was competitive. The team's competitive. NBA players are competitive. And this was just a sign of people being competitive. Obviously, we know it's more than that. The team find John Wall. It doesn't find John mm-hmm. Wall all the time. Clearly, there was something else. Clearly, there was some, whatever it was. Clearly, there was something else that made this incident. And I totally believe that things like this happen in practice. But clearly, there was something that made this exceptional to where the Wizards wanted to find them and to where it got out and that so many people were talking to so many people. Uh, and then the Wizards come out tonight and they get down by 24. And they come back and uh, they start playing defense and the Clippers kind of get second half of a back-to-back syndrome and lose their legs and stop shooting as hot as they were in the first half. And the Wizards get, you know, Thomas Sadoransky told me it, it, it didn't feel like a normal game. He said it was emotional. And it was clear, right? Oh, w- 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 without a doubt. I mean, in a, in a broad sense, I, I'm, I'm with you in that, you know, they're 6-11. and 11. We need to see a lot more. 
before you know uh, you know if they made us want if they at the beginning of the year they made us wait 10 12 15 20 games to evaluate them then I'm not going to evaluate a turnaround on one game um, but the things that they were doing in the second half in particular were the things that they haven't been doing all year there was a one play in particular uh, there was a place where right in front of me Tobias Harris has the ball he's killed the Wizards all game he has the ball in the left corner I believe like John Wall had gotten matched on him and then Bradley Beal kind of jumped in the frame. They get they get a nice double team and they knock the ball loose and then Markeith Morris comes over to finish off the sequence and they get a 24-second violation. Uh, the, the, the passion shown by the three of those individuals in particular defensively, I, I, I don't think I've seen any of the three necessarily at play at that level. They were playing a, a desperate level of, of, of defense. Immediately the ball goes to the other end. Markeith Morris is the three-pointer. The Wizards take a lead and soon thereafter pull away and that was the type of vigor hustle force whatever you want to say defensively that said to me yes they recognize the ship be sinking and if they don't make some make some moves this thing's gonna be over when they're down 24 points at halftime and i i don't know what your conversations were like but ones i was involving with were like so uh who's uh getting traded fired whatever by i don't know monday i i mean because i mean you're how could you be down you just went through all this, like you said. Not only did Scott Brooks talk today, which doesn't happen, John Wall, Bradley Beal, Otto Porter talk. They've never all three at the same time talk at the same morning shoot around. This was a thing they all needed to address it, and then here they go again. And you're just like, oh my god, is this going to happen? And somehow, whatever it was, they for at least for for one half, they woke up and were like, okay, we have to get this done. Does that translate to more to the next game? I'm not going to make that claim, but at least they, for the first time, I would probably arguably say all year, they looked like the team, a, a team trying to play for each other and actually trying to compete and give a crap. Yeah, and here's here's the thing. Like, that practice comes on Thursday, right? They're in the midst of a three-game winning streak. They've got another game the next day on Friday against Brooklyn. Well-coached team. Not a horrible team. Certainly a below-average team, especially with that Karis LeVert, that's going to finish below 500. You have them at home. But a try-hard team. Try-hard team. But a team that if you have at home, even if you're a bad team, you're the favorite. Especially with with, with LeVert out. And, and them having just lost LeVert, and they don't know how to play with him without him yet. And then the Wizards come out, and they just have a total letdown. And this is the day after that practice, right? After they've had, like, they played well, legitimately well against Cleveland. They beat them by 20-some-odd points, and it's their biggest win of the year. Cleveland's the worst team in the league, but they get an impressive win. The next game against Portland, they're just horrendous. And after that game is when Scott Brooks kind of speaks with his most profuse language about their energy problem, right? He says, you know, I asked him, do you have a leadership problem? And he said, no, we have a play-hard problem, which is a leadership problem. I mean, I don't see how the two things are apart. But, of course, Scott's going to say they don't have a leadership problem. But that's his way of answering the question yes without saying yes, you know? Uh, And I don't think anything he said was wrong. And if they if they come out today and they lay a dud for the entire night, which it looked like they were going to do when we were two quarters into this game and they were losing by 20-something, I mean, this was the second straight game in which they got down 20 in the first quarter. If they lay a dud tonight, so they have that practice and then they look like a broken team for two days and then it all comes out on that Monday about the practice and they look even more broken than they did before, then it's like you're not just looking broken. It's pretty clear you are broken. And at least now, like, I don't know if this win means anything other than just, like, a win. Even though the Clippers are a good team. But 
I mean, it's better than a loss, right? It's better than the alternative. And, and also, not only that first half was it looking like more of the same, they did make some moves. Scott Brooks, for the first time in forever, actually did change the starting lineup. He didn't just say, I need to find five guys to do X, Y, or Z. He actually said, okay, we're going to make a move. First, there was no Dwight Howard because of the soreness continued. We'll just leave it at that. That's going on. So they started Thomas Bryant. Hallelujah on just the out Played of the well, by the way. Yeah. Like legit played well. He's looked good in other spots, too. I th- uh, hallelujah, they didn't just go back to Mahimi or Jason Smith. No offense to them. We know what they are. For a team that's struggling and needs something, look at the young guy who you don't know what he could do. And Thomas and- Bryant, by the way, played of every game Jason Smith has played this year, every game Mahimi's played this year, Thomas Bryant played at least as well as any of their best games. And yeah. and maybe the best game of any of those three guys today. Yeah, I mean, what is he, 22? He, you know, he, 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 he didn't make a three tonight, but he can he can do that. He, in every game he's played, he's gotten some some, some good rebounds. Took a corner three. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, you know, I talked to Marcia Gortat after the game at, among various topics, including Thomas Bryant, and he said, yeah, he looks like a guy who can make a living in this league, you know, good energy, all that. So, anyway, so that was one thing. The other move, they, they started Kelly Oubre, brought Marquise Morris off the bench. That in and of itself didn't really matter much. Oubre got in foul trouble, didn't play much. Marquise Morris, though, did have a, a, a an improved fourth quarter, to, you know, was on the court when they were making uh, making moves and, and, you know, looked a little bit better. He still, uh, uh, I still have a lot of questions with him. I think it was the right move. Convention. But my point is, they made these moves in the first half. He actually did something, Brooks, and they were still down by 20-something. So I was like, man, I mean, not that making a move for one game is like, oh, it's immediately supposed to fix all your problems. But he at least tried that and it still wasn't going to work. And you're right. It's like, man, if you lose this game, you are what your record says you are. Who said Was that Herm Edwards or Dennis Green? That's Bill Parcells. Oh, I um, NFL coaches for uh, NFL coaches and great. You're messing up the guys with the great press guy. It's it, Dennis Green is the Bears are who we thought they were. Right, right, right. And Herm Edwards is you play to win the game. It's one forty in the morning. Yes, that's <laughs> absolutely right. All right. Anyway, so um, I already forgot where we were, but yeah, but so, but yeah, I mean, the, ultimately, yeah, it, it's hard to know what any of this means. They had to do something, and at least they did. They 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 they, they did. Something that, that you know that, that, that showed up and, and and did more. I um, I, you know I, the, so here's the part of the work in progress thing. Like Sadoransky to me is such uh, a symbol of this. What I don't sort of get with this team, like the the, the fact that Scott Brooks changed the starting lineup tonight. Great. Uh, to me, Thomas Bryant should have played by now, even just five minutes of real minutes. At some point, it finally happened now. Sitting Marquise seemed to be something that kind of they needed to do over the last few games. He's been getting no rebounds. He's just looked... He's know. been legitimately bad defensively. Like, he's been... He's, yeah, there's something with his movement. I don't know if it's an injury from last year or what. He's he, not... His lateral movement isn't there, like, especially guarding pick and rolls. You put him in open space, and he's getting killed. I mean, him, him and Wall have been the two weak links defending in that starting lineup and you put the two of them in a pick and roll and they're getting killed in that a lot or you're putting wall in on the perimeter making him defend and putting putting morris in help and it's hurt them he was better in the second half defensively tonight like that's what kept him on the floor when scott brooks closed with him i I think it was his defense because i don't think he went Scott Brooks before the game did not tell Keith like you are going to close tonight even though you're not starting. Keith said that and Brooks said that and I totally believe that. And I think he stayed out there in part because Ubre was just off tonight and in foul trouble and played 12 minutes and all that. 
And also because Keefe was playing his best defensive game in a while. He didn't play great. He had some mess-ups. Like, he had some play times where he was really late helping. But he was definitely more intense defensively. I don't know if that was because in the moment, because he was clearly angry about that locker room stuff getting out and dropped a few F-bombs in that game or in that post-game press conference, in that post-game press session, which we'll talk about in a sec. Uh, if it was random, if it was because they weren't playing well, I don't know why, but he, he, he stepped up the defensive intensity tonight, like, noticeably. You know, the, the so much of our focus, you know, when we talk about the Wizards, you know, sort of the, the, the Dwight Howard of it all, and then there's the Yamahimi and, his, you know, all, all that comes with him. But in this day and age, the small ball center is kind of a big deal. And I, you know, this is going to sound insane. Please don't lock me up. But at their peak, if you look at the Wizards and their lineup, especially like a couple years ago, or not a couple years ago, I mean now, when they when they can go with Wall, Beal, Otto, Oubre when he's playing right, and Markeith, I'm not saying it's talent-wise equal, of course. But if you compare that five to Golden State's five on some level, you're like, well, you can kind of see how the pieces match, including Markeith Moore's giving you that Draymond crazy toughness. Lock him up! Lock him up! <laughs> yeah. Throw him in the basement. I hear you. And never just throw away the key. Lock the door, throw away the key. No one's ever finding it. I'm picturing... I'm, I'm, see, I'm not picturing the 6-11 and 11 Wizards. I'm picturing the team that won 49 games a few years ago and, uh, you know, and, and, and all that stuff. But anyway, my point is, like, if you look, you know, I mean, there wasn't that long ago where people were saying Wall and Beal versus Clay and Steph. I'm not saying it was comparable or equal, but, like, Sort of see the thing in the auto port. Anyway, my point is that Marquise Morris would be the guy. He's he would be the thing. He has just like Draymond is what makes that ultimate thing go from a small ball perspective. Marquise would have to do that here. The difference is that Draymond is a way better defender, way better passer, playmaker, uh, rebounder, all that stuff. And Marquise does not give them enough big man minutes for him for them to justify using him as the five going small. That's why they've had to use Jeff Green more and take out, say, the Ubre piece where you maybe could run more at that, but you have to get some more size. And Jeff Green is not exactly a uh, big man himself, but he's, you know, he had a big game tonight too, what, 20 points? But, you know, I mean, like, in terms of the the, 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 the interior stuff, Markeith is not being able to do that, and it's been even worse lately. And I think, you know, when Brooks wants to go small, it's basically been borderline impossible because Markeith is not giving you anything. So, um, I, 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 yeah, just like we don't know if this game means that this team is turning around, we'll see. I don't know if this the late part from Markeith means he he got a kick in the butt, but um, yeah, they, they 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 desperately need him if or they have to figure out a, a, di- a different situation at that position. Jeff Green's giving them good work; he's not the long term solution. So they either need Markeith to get going, or if they're actually going to make a move. I think that's the spot where you make, in terms of bringing somebody in, not saying blowing it up, that's the spot where I think they have to, have to get some help. Yeah, I made fun of you, but I do actually know what you're <laughs> so horribly trying to say with your Warriors comparison. So I, I wrote about that a little bit this weekend. The numbers on this are a little bit old, but they're still relevant. I mean, I wrote about this past weekend in my, I'm trying to do a thing. I don't know if I'm going to continue it, but like, leftover observations from the week, things that I would make into analysis articles if I wanted to do analysis articles and just doing like six of them once a week or something like that and just just throwing them all into one piece. And one of of my non-articles inside that leftover observations piece was a thing on 
how well the Wizards have played when Wall and Beal play without a conventional center. And when they have Wall and Beal out there without a conventional center, they are, I think, when I wrote it, so this was before the Portland game, so it's two games old now, but it's still relevant. They're plus five and a half per 100 possessions going into the Portland game, and that's in like a, like 200-something minutes. I mean, it's not a small... I mean, it's, it's, it's a small sample size because it's early in the season, but it's not insignificant <clears throat> considering where we were at the time, I guess, 15 games in. That's a number that you can at least look at when all these other lineups are just getting hammered because the Wizards are bottom five in the league in net rating, bottom six in the league in net rating, something like that. And if this unit is plus five and a half, I mean, we're talking that's like 11 or 12 points per 100 possessions better than the actual team is, which means that it it's like like 14 points per 100 better than when you're not playing Wall and Beal and I think that with, I, I, without a conventional center. And, and that's just a ginormous difference. And it's, it's at the very least worth investigating and trying out more. And I don't remember when I looked this up, but sometimes all these days are blending together because it's been chaotic. But at some point here in the last week or so, I looked it up that Wall and Beal as just a, a pairing in general had like a minus seven net rating. So like what, if you're saying it's plus five for that, then it's a really big swing from where it was. Um, Whereas uh, o- o- overall, by the way, just to uh, make sure I don't get locked up, the, the lineup they had for w- with the last previous two years with Wall, Beal, Otto, Ubre, and Gortat was a top ten yeah, it was always really net good. rating the whole time, and um, so that's with a conventional center. So my only thing was, okay, if, if you could, you know, as as the game continued to move smaller, if Marquise could give you that, boy, it really seems like that could be pretty interesting, and it's never quite worked out, but. Yes, to your to your point. I mean, it, it makes sense that Wall, in particular, would play better almost with a non-traditional center because the whole thing for him is to go up and down the court. And you, obviously, you have somebody you know laboring to get back, or Todd struggled running over the years. Obviously, Dwight is he can't even sit down right now. Um, so, so to have that off the court and have a, a more mobile threat there is a big deal. And that's also why I think Thomas Bryant thing is interesting because he can run. Scott Brooks said pregame he runs like a deer. I don't know about that, but whatever. Point is, he's a, if he if he gives you more mobility, maybe Thomas Bryant wouldn't be a. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's technically conventional conventional center. I guess he would probably say yes. But in twenty eighteen, he is right. Right, but at least he's somebody who can do a little more of those small ball centery type things because he can shoot threes. Three. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so that's why I think he's interesting because you know, Mahimi doesn't give you that. Dwight's not not going to give you that. Hey. Oh, sorry. He did make a three. Mahimi would not tell you <laughs> that he doesn't give you that. He, Don't ever say that to Yao Mahimi. Yao Mahimi did give me dinner with that three-pointer. <laughs> so I'm happy for that. <laughs> yeah, I I actually think, and you've been covering Scott Brooks for longer than I have, obviously. It's my <clears> first <throat> year on the Wizards beat. And Scott has said just this year, and not follow through, that he wants to get more minutes for Sadoransky. I believe him this time. He, he's been, he was definitely more adamant about it this time. He said something which I'm sure you appreciated. He made, Scott's always self-deprecating. He said, I'm slow. Took me 15 games to realize it. Really, it took him like two years and 15 games to realize it. Uh, but he, he, he hasn't really used that language to talk about Sadoransky. And I spoke to Thomas after the game. And Thomas said that, like, right when the game ended, Scott came in the locker room. And he came over and he spoke to Thomas and he told him that he was going to play more 
and that he wanted him to play more and that he loved his energy and he wanted to use it more. And Thomas told me for all the times that Scott has said that he wants to get Sadoransky more minutes and he hasn't done it, he had never had that individual conversation with Sadoransky. And I think that is something that's different. You know, anybody can BS to us. It's like, you know, it's totally inconsequential for Scott if he's like, yeah, I want to get Sato more minutes. And then he plays him 14. It's like, he doesn't care. Like, He'll get, we'll get called out on it, but like, we'll call him out on it, but like, it doesn't do anything today. Who cares, you know, if you're him? Uh, but I don't think he's going to go to a player and say that and then not do it because now you're talking about credibility with your players. Right. It's not even credibility with us. The only thing it's credibility about is credibility regarding Sadoransky's minutes, which again, he's like, who cares? Like, but, but when it's credi- credibility about Sadoransky's minutes, when you're talking to Sadoransky, then, you know, you're talking about a different animal. And Sato told me he hadn't done that. And I think it's interesting. I think Scott making all those moves, uh, which I wrote about yesterday as a, as a real possibility, the changes were going to come because they were frustrated with their effort. And we saw some of them today. I, I think it's interesting. I think maybe, maybe that is like some kind of wake-up call that they want to go with guys who are playing hard and playing the right way, like Sadoransky, like Thomas Bryant. Because Thomas Bryant earned minutes, right? Wasn't given minutes. They didn't, they didn't have to play Thomas Bryant. They could have, on principle, <laughs> just played Troy Brown, right? I mean, this was all just principle. Well, granted, I mean, granted, he's paying, a center. and They're paying him $16 million. Dollars, so yeah. they usually could just be like, well, I mean, you have a paycheck. Could get out there and do stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Mahimi, for the record, was the first person to congratulate Thomas Bryant on starting. I mean, I always say whenever I criticize Mihimi, which has been very often in in the last couple of years, I always say I always qualify with probably super nice guy. Like, he is I, so nice. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to like I feel bad the, for the person, but it is what it is. Um, it's okay. He gets sixteen million dollars. Yeah, I think he's fine. I would trade with him so hard if you told me that I could get sixteen million dollars, and the detriment would be that. Ben Standig would go on a podcast and every once in a while criticize the way I play basketball. I would take that deal so hard. Oh yeah, so yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no question. Um, on, on the center, you could do it as much as you want, and then I would lock you in your basement and throw away the key. Uh, well, that that, that that honestly probably needs to be. Done I'd be like anyway. Ben, the guy who compared the Wizards to the Warriors. That guy. Yeah, 100%. Now that you say that back, it really, I really do question <laughs> what's going on here. Um, but but just on the Sadoransky thing, I mean, just to sort of go back for a second, uh, in terms of just last season, they entered the year with Tim Frazier backing up Wall. And, you know, look, Tim Frazier had been around for a minute, and I thought, okay, let's see. But it's, it clearly seemed, I mean, I've been waiting for Sadoransky since 2012 when they drafted him in the second round. I had a dream on green. But they drafted him in the second round. And then he was overseas for a while. But, like, watching the YouTube highlights, I love the tall pass-first point guard. He plays like a soccer player. The the, the vision, he, he, I, I liked all of it. I'm not saying he was going to be an all-star, but I just liked it. Then he got here, and you could see the glimpses, but he didn't play him a lot. And then last year, he didn't play him at all, really, in the beginning of the year until Wall got hurt. And then he, when he came in the lineup, he immediately, the, the second unit, which had stunk with Frazier and stunk with other people, too, immediately turned around with Sadoransky to the point that when Wall came back after, like, eight to ten games, Brooks said, okay, he's going to be the, the two guy, the, the backup. Then when Wall got hurt again, he threw him into the starting lineup, and then they really 
took off, at least from a standpoint of like uh, the, the everybody eats, the passing, their assists for like a good stretch of the season or a good stretch of that time were right there with Golden State. Uh, <laughs> and Sadaransky was the guy. Who was, I wish I wish people could have seen your face right before you said Golden State. You realize what you were doing again. And um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, he was such a big key for all that. But then, you know, look, he's got some limitations. His ball handling is a little bit suspect, and and and, and things like that. So when as the season progressed, they brought in Ramon Sessions. They then brought in Ty Lawson. And when John Wall got back, Scott Brooks started saying things along the lines of. Yeah, well, I think the thing I like most about Sadoransky is his versatility, i.e. I'm going to play him at the three as much or more. I'm going to play him at the point. And we're all like, what? And then in the playoffs, Ty Lawson's ahead of him. And we're all like, wait, didn't we just watch the whole season? What's going on here? And then we get to this season and find Sadoransky was the backup point guard because they got rid of everybody else. But Austin Rivers is now here, and he is clearly a guy who's going to play ahead of Sadoransky. And clearly that combination, which I thought actually would work out nicely based on preseason, has been sort of a mess. And Sadoransky has just been not there. But the difference between where Sadoransky not being there and Rivers is I don't really, I, I think Rivers is really lost in his head. I think Sadoransky is like, dude, I'm good. Just play me. And Brooks would not do it consistently no matter what if he said. So I'm with you. I did take Brooks's reaction to, to the, to, um, to us post game as something different. And look, Austin Rivers has been struggling. So could, I mean, the question is of course that whose minutes does he take? If that's, if that's a thing, Austin Rivers would seem to be, I guess, somewhat the natural guy. Maybe you could argue Ubre, but if he's playing, I mean, if Brooks is going to play him more, it better be a point. If he's playing him more to play him with the three, then I, I'm it not interested. It could be Markeith Morris's minutes. You could just play smaller more often. I mean, you could just play like a like a Porter Ubre front court more often, and Markeith Morris could get 20 minutes a game. I didn't like, try. Could I could do that. Too. Was Sadoransky playing a lot with Wall and Bill tonight, or it felt like it was more of a, he played next to Wall a little bit. Yeah, I, but I mean, it was more backup. But he he played next to Wall. He's, a, he's just a, such a smart player. He's got the size where he can defend three positions. Last year he shot really really well from three. Obviously he's a great passer. He's a smart guy. And yes, he you know, he and Uber are the two guys who night in night out seem to play with a lot of energy. And and look for a team that's been lacking that. It's a thing. So yes, I'm very happy if that's he was very thing. good defensively tonight. For, for for I love the small battles. I mean, we all like to talk more about Wall and Beal, but I love the smaller battles. For me, this was a huge night. I've been bitching for Thomas Bryan to play and Sadoransky to play more. And on one night, we may have had both of these things. We will let both of these things happen, and maybe it becomes a bigger deal. So this is a big this is a big night. For the uh, for, for the campaign over here on on these uh, <laughs> on these matters, yeah, Sadoransky was a big part of. They locked down defensively late in that game, and Sadoransky was a big part of that. Beal was a big part of that. Um, Beal was great, by the way. We didn't even talk about him. We're not going to talk about him. He's a really good player who played a really good game. Um, I I do want to talk about repercussions for this week just a little bit. I shared some stuff in what I wrote and talked about. Oh, people are walking in. It's two in the morning. People are walking in. Using the soda machine. Yeah, being being loud over there while we're trying to record a podcast. Not even hearing me talking loud. Well, I mean, they, in fairness <laughs> to them, they can't comprehend that any adults are still here. Yeah, why would anybody be here working and doing work? Uh, I do want to talk about for a little bit just what's to come with them and I said I didn't want to go for long and here we are at minute 32 it's my fault this is, this is what I do I told you before I, know. I, 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 I have this effect on podcasts I know well I do want to talk about what's what 
is to make because they the issues with that practice and the issues with the Wizards are not that they had a bad practice. They're not that John Wall got fined. They're not, they're not that people are opening doors and slamming them in the middle of podcasts. They're that there could be long-term ramifications. Obviously, ESPN came out with the report that everybody on the roster is available. Um, I think in the literal sense, that is true. And who am I to question Woj? Uh, but... I think there are varying degrees of that being true. I think if the Wizards came across a deal that they loved, they would happily take it. But I don't think, uh, at least my sources have said, they haven't actively sought out Bradley Beal trades, um, specifically with Beal. And Wall's situation is obviously very complicated given his contract and the complications with his trade kicker and that kind of stuff. Uh, Stuff further down the roster, I think they're kicking the tires on because they're... 6 and 11 and they have bad deals on their books and damn they sh- they should be kicking the tires on a lot of things and I think they are um, what do you make of this like end of the year how different does this roster look um, so 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 here's the thing like going into the season let's even not assuming that they would stink and thinking that they could be contenders if my biggest concern was Dwight Howard to be honest and he's been not a, not an issue on that, on that front but regardless you look at the roster you've got eight guys in entering some form of free agency and you only have five guys definitely well back based on contract and they're already over the Cap. And based on that alone, you're like, well, this can't, this makes no sense. You have to turn some of these free agents into somebody with longer-term deals. And when I brought this up to somebody in, in, in the front office during um, the offseason, they're like, well, yes, but, like, you do that, you maybe you're not taking on a lesser player. I'm like, well, okay, but, like, you need to – you can't you put all your eggs into the basket of this season? That, that, that seems a little risky, but, okay, I get it to some degree. Well, now we're here. I think they have to make a move on multiple fronts. One, because – I think for that reason alone, like, they're going to be screwed next year. Whatever this is now, they could be way, way more trouble next year. Because if they, you know, without going through the whole thing, they won't be able to sign more than, like, one or two players uh, unless they just keep everybody, which is obviously not a great idea based on 6 and 11 right now. So they have to And the the fact that if they really bring people back, they will go into the tax. Yeah. And and if you win thirty nine games, like you have to find a way not to go into the tax next year. Right, you so, just have to. Right. So based on that practical aspect, alone, I I, I I felt for all, all all the time they have to do something. The fact that they've been struggling, and you presumably like yeah, the John Wall thing. I'm sure you've talked about this before. You know, with the trade kicker and the, just the craziness of his contract, and you know, concerns about where he's at in his career. I don't know how he's not very attractive right now. I wouldn't trade Beal at all. I mean, again, I don't say at all. Like, there's nothing I wouldn't trade. The Pelicans want to give you Anthony Davis, fine. But you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going out of my way to deal Beal. And Otto Porter, I get it. He's not this year paying anywhere close to the value for the $26 million he's earning. There's still a lot of value there. He makes his team better. But right now, it's not working. But, like, yeah, the other pieces, I do think something has to change. The Marquise Morris thing, I do think, is the one... But I, I, I'm just going to keep an eye on for now because he's not playing, as we just discussed before, he's not playing where they need him to play. That if he can't give them what they need, they have to upgrade that spot. But look, he doesn't make a lot of money. Are there, and I haven't done, looked at this yet, but are there a team or two out there in sort of the lottery situation who maybe has some sort of a four who's got a couple of years left on his contract? 
that maybe they're like, ah, oh, fine, you take that guy, we'll take him, or whatever it is, and move on. I think that's a thing. And then you have Ubre, right? The Wizards are not really in a position to um, to, uh, uh, to 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 give him the money that conceivably he'll get on the open market. That said, it's hard to know where his value is. Some nights you're just like, wow, that guy's got so much going for him. And other nights, he's shooting 27% from three. I looked this up the other day. Since January 30th, including both seasons, he's shooting 27% from three on like 230 attempts in the history of basketball. Any player in a season who took at least 230 attempts from three, only seven have had a worse shooting percentage than Kelly Oubre. So he's not doing – there's a lot of negative there, but there's still upside. So between the two of those guys, I keep wondering, can you switch them? Can you turn that into a guy who can play and give you minutes at the four? If you can, I think that's something they would have to consider because that's the only thing I can realistically see that would make them better without truly – reshaping the whole thing and I'd like like you and people I've talked to I just don't see the wall beal auto thing happening. Anything's possible. You know other teams out there have their own agendas and they may get desperate enough to say, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll take the we'll, we'll give you what you want. But beyond that, it just feels like something has something still has to happen and those are the two spots it seem like to get a real impact back could happen. Or that would make the most sense to happen. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I mean, I think other things to look out for if this really goes south and we're not there because it's the Eastern Conference and you could make the playoffs with 40 wins, 39 wins. That really seems like it's a real possibility. Other things to look out for is that the Widgers are about $9 million over the luxury tax. Markeith Morris makes only barely less than that. And Sacramento has about $11 million in cap room. So if they're like, get out of this payroll thing, that is a thing to look out for because getting rid of that salary gets rid of a lot more than just that salary. It can get rid of about $13 million in luxury tax payments to uh, Austin Rivers makes $12.5 in that sense. I mean, like you said, you could also do like, you talk about swinging a guy for a lesser player. Like, Austin Rivers is a good player. Austin Rivers has had two consecutive good years with the Clippers where he has been a legitimately good NBA rotation contributor. Like, a two-way guy. He has not been good so far this year. And if for if it's the environment or whatever it is, if, if he's not going to work here, and I don't think that that's a guarantee. I'm speaking in hypotheticals now. I don't want anybody to take me and, you know, I don't want the aggregators to get out of control. Not that they're listening to this all the time. But, uh, you know, if you do that, you can pull off, and I'm not suggesting, this is not at all me saying this is a possibility. I'm literally, this is the first thing that came to my head. The first contract came to my head. Knicks really want to get off of Courtney Lee. If you want to upgrade this year's roster and next year's roster, like, the Knicks just want an expiring. Austin Rivers for Courtney Lee, I'm pretty sure it works. Salaries. You can just do that, and you can take on Courtney Lee's 2019 salary, or 2019-20 salary, and then you got a guy who shoots and he defends, and he's a guy who can help playoff team. He does nothing for the Knicks. All he does is take up cap room, which they don't want for next year, and then Austin Rivers comes off the Knicks' books the next year, and they just they take him as an expiring contract, and right. they renounce him, and they use the cap space. I mean, that that's a thing and that a, might it's, work. It's, right, and that's the thing. You got Jason Smith. I mean, like, there's a, basically everybody on the roster except for Wall, Beal, Porter, Mahimi, and I guess Troy Brown, everybody else to some degree falls into this category. So, yeah, they could do all kinds of things with all kinds of people, and I, I have to imagine they're going to do something, even if it's just for the purposes of next year. Right. Um, it's it's weird because they have – it's weird to explain their roster because in some ways they have tons of flexibility. 
because they have so many upcoming free agents. But they're all the guys on the edge of the rotation. And I shouldn't say the edge of the rotation, but they're just not the core guys. And in other ways, they have less flexibility than any other team in the league because they got all these guys locked up to huge deals. Now, Beal is a really enticing piece, but I just don't, I don't see the logic in wanting to just give away Bradley Beal. Why in the world would you do that? He's a really good player. Uh, totally fair deal. Like, that makes no sense. There are people suggesting, oh, you got to do it just to shake it up. No, you don't. No. That's crazy. What are you talking about? No, you don't. You don't have to just give away a really good player on a fair contract for any reason. That's ridiculous. Like, I, I, I don't buy that, and I, I certainly, certainly have not gotten the impression that the Wizards buy that either. So I, I, I don't think that that stuff is uh, – I would not expect – you know, any sort of deal where Bradley Beal is going out for something that's not ginormous. I just, I would not, Yeah, I would not expect that. And, and I would just say this, like, with all, you know, we haven't gotten into, like, too much of the specifics of all the things that people said over the last day or so, but there, you know, there was a thing that some Wizards player apparently told Stephen A. Smith that um, the issue with this team is that John Wall just refuses to basically just get rid of the ball and let other people do some stuff, and Scott Brooks can't control them or whatever. Uh, I, I, I have been under the impression for some time that attitudinally, is that a word? Based on, if, if, in terms of their tone setting, that they would be better served following Bradley Beasley than John Wall. If, if John Wall plays like he did in the second half tonight, fine. But the John Wall we see most of the time, or often, complaining to the referees, walking up the court when he doesn't have the ball, hands on hips when he's on the side defense lacking as guys are getting past him. I'm not saying he's not a very good player, but there's too many things we can see. It's right there, broad daylight, that is not working. And the team, again, Martin Gortat was here tonight. The, 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 he, the, the, the teammates over the years have gotten sort of thrown under the bus to some degree because John Wall is doing John Wall things and everybody else has to sort of revolve, revolve around it. And I think Bradley Beal, this is my own take, that Bradley Beal has been over here long enough. The comment he made about I've seen this for seven years was his way of saying I've had enough. I see the reports. Everybody's saying I'm the one you want. I'm the one with who's – forget just the contract. I fit in everywhere. I'm the one who's, who's who's good stuff. You talk to people and say he, not necessarily criticism of John Wall, but that he is the guy who's a leader by nature. And he himself will tell you that. He has said, I was born to lead and all that stuff. And getting rid of Bradley Beal leaves John Wall there. And if John Wall doesn't change John Wall, and he could. He's still a young man. He, people change. Uh, I'd like to think one day I'll grow up. But, uh, you know, it, but if that doesn't change, then the Wizards are not left with the same tone that they have now. But Bradley Beal, I think, I'm not saying if you flip the other one, you got rid of Wall and Bradley Beal, that that would mean the Wizards are going to the title. Uh, Bradley Beal's a very good player. He made the All-Star team last year. He's not that level. But I think that from an attitude standpoint, I think he's the one they have to build around. And that's why I just, beyond all the other factors, getting rid of him, I just don't think changes anything. It would presumably make things worse. So uh, I would not remotely look to get rid of him. All right. That's a good place to uh, wrap it up. Plug your work quickly before we go. Uh, NBC Sports Washington, at Ben Standing on Twitter, locked in somebody's basement. Perfect. Uh, and uh, before I wrap up, I just want to say... 
we have all been working very hard these last 48 hours trying to get as much information um, and report as much good information and write as well and talk as well and do whatever the heck else we can as well as we possibly can. Uh, I put together a pretty comprehensive story for Tuesday morning along with uh, my colleague. I can't believe David Aldridge is my colleague, but along with my colleague David Aldridge, uh, we put together a story for Tuesday morning in The Athletic just about the whole fracas that's gone on the last 96 hours, whatever it is, with the Wizards. You can go on The Athletic DC and you can check that out. You can subscribe to The Athletic and you can read those for only $5 a month and uh, and you can check that out. Uh, I'll have a story uh, by the time this podcast is up probably. It'll be up on the website just following tonight's win over the Clippers um, with – Quotes from Markeith Morris about how he, you know, he still thinks the situation is effed up because he doesn't appreciate that this stuff is leaking out of the locker room so quickly. And you can read about that there. And I have some more information about the conversations with Scott Brooks and Thomas Sadoransky um, and the way that Sadoransky or the way that Brooks told Thomas Bryant he was starting, the way he told Morris that he was going to be coming off the bench and kind of Scott Brooks's way of trying to uh, communicate with the team in organic ways over the last couple of days during all of this drama and all these things that are going on and the way he's just trying to be natural in making these changes. And you can go on, you can read that story too, which uh, might already be up actually. I haven't checked my computer in the 45 minutes we've been recording this. You can subscribe to Wizards After Dark on iTunes. You can give it a five-star rating. You can leave a review. Like I always say, the reviews actually help on the iTunes ratings more than you could possibly know. So if you want to leave a nice review and a five-star rating, that really helps. Follow me on Twitter at Fred Katz and you can get all your Wizards updates and everything else along with that. Uh, I'm going to be off on Saturday or off on Saturday. I'm losing my mind. That's like the farthest away day that I could have said. I'm going to be off on Wednesday off on Thursday because that's when the Wizards are both off. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to everyone who is listening. Thanks so much for like going through the Wizards After Dark journey with me. It's been awesome so far. I will be back on Friday. I'll be in Toronto. I'm leaving on Thursday night for Toronto. And I will be there and uh, podcasting after that game. Probably with a Toronto beat writer. I actually need to hit hit up those guys and see if anybody will come on the podcast. But I'll probably be talking to one of those guys and We'll be wrapping up that game like we do all the time. Ben, thanks for coming on. Uh, Fred, oh, oh, always always a pleasure, and I'm glad we're done before it's after dark. I'm still not sure about how that whole thing works. but There we go. Wizards before after dark. Yeah. I'll see you guys next time on Wizards before after dark. Yeah.